Kia ora mai whanau and welcome back to another episode of the Best Side Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Awesome to have you on board for another awesome corridor with none other, none other than the bro himself, Mr. Troy Kingy, the man, the myth, the dad from Hunt for the Wilder People. Troy Kingy, an indescribable person and talent that people have been trying to box in for years with titles like actor, teacher, performer, singer, artist. Yeah, he is so much more than all of those combined. Even though if they had a word for all of those things, it still wouldn't be enough. Challenging the status quo and doing the impossible amongst many things that come up in this conversation that we got to have. We explore his moving about as a child through Rotorua and Takaha and everywhere beyond uh, to becoming a staple of the New Zealand music scene and a familiar face on TV as well. Uh, from his relationship with Tangaroa, the oceans, to his favourite basketball player, we leave no stone unturned during this corridor. We even have a giggle uh, about the scenes that we see at WOMAD sometimes with particular people dancing to particular songs. We talk, of course, about his flagship goal to complete 10 albums in 10 different genres within 10 years. It's here we lock it in for this one. This fella is the man, Mr. Troy Kingy. Sweet, bro. So I guess the, the first thing I always ask everyone that pops on, bro, is where did you grow up and where, where do you fuck a papa to? Where are you from? All that sort of thing. Yeah, I um, I was born in Rotorua back in the 80s and um, I, I lived there till I was about 11. And, and then my dad, he he's a cop. He, he ended up becoming a soul cop down in Takaha. So we moved down to the coast for a few years and while we were there, um, I started going to boarding school at Teotihuacan College. Oh yeah. Uh, there for three years before my family moved up north to Kirikiri, and then I moved up there and just kind of never left. Found my wife when I was sixteen. Oh, choice. And five kids later, we're still in Kirikiri. <laughs> mean bro. So tell me about. I'm really interested to hear about your life in Takaha because that's where my family's from that's oh, where I fuck up too I don't know if we've uh, spoken about that no, before I know we met briefly at Woman, yeah, 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 but yeah. I'm pretty sure that was just a quick selfie bang gone sort of scenario but yeah tell me about your your life or your perspective of Takaha bro because it's not often I meet someone from there yeah I think um it def- it's definitely left an impression on who I am today like mm-hmm. um because of that place I could never live in a city you know what I mean like first moved there and I was like Shit, what do we do down here? There's one <laughs> shop. Um, and then, yeah, I didn't want to move there. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I left Rotorua. And How old were you when you moved to? I was 11. Oh, yeah. I was 11. Yeah, that would have been a pivotal time, yeah. like leaving friends. Yeah, and... yeah. They moved down there. And then I didn't want to leave there when we did leave there. So um, it definitely left an impression. And um, because because my father is actually not from there, even though everyone's like, oh, yeah, Tefano Hapunui, this fellow, because of Kapahaka. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm not from there, but that's why I use Kapahaka as a means to go back there, you yep. know, otherwise I just wouldn't go back there. So um haven't actually been back for a couple of years now. Um, my son was wanting to perform for Tawira and the regionals, but I've just, I just got a real busy schedule over there. Yeah. Over there, so, man, I did it. It's nine and a half hours from Kitty Kitty, so... Mm. It was definitely a passion thing. Uh, I think for anyone <laughs> doing kapaka, you know, you're not getting paid to do that. Nah. And some people travel from friggin' Australia to come and perform over here. So um, a lot of people do use that, that for for that like for knowing your tongue sort of aspect and to stay connected to home. Eh? That's it. Like um, that's what I that's what I realized when I went back for the last campaign. I think my last performance was 2017 regionals in um, Kahununu. Mm. Um, that it, I do get soul food down there. It's just it's a spiritual thing. Like I get to um, torere, and then it's like nothing's changed. <laughs> you just you go there and then you, just, you then you see the kids riding bareback on the horse. Yeah. You know, um, I always crack up bro when um, my like especially my Pakeha friends, but just friends in general, mm. when we when they see the movie Boy. Yeah, and I'm like. That's what it's like, that, yeah. you know. That's that's that where is. it is, and that's that is legit what it's like. They're like, nah, this has been hyped up for film. I'm like, nah, honest, like, legit, like that's the wharf that we all jumped off and had the ice creams down in Waiho. Like that mm-hmm. is legit what it's mm-hmm. like. And people think it's all fiction, but yeah, it's it's like um, 
you kind of travel back in time when you go down there. It's like time stops, eh? Like, love, especially especially like, because there's no, there's no, no reception. reception. <laughs> that's it. You've got no connection to anything, so it's just like you're there in the moment. And um, that's probably the main reason I travel down there, is just for that feeling. That for Nongatanga, but it's it's just that place is, is quite a special place. So, yeah, I've, I've always got te kaha in my heart wherever I go. And even when I used to fill out those forms, um, um, Kauai Toiwi, it was always up and away anyway because they always hearty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if they see you write anything else, they'll be like, what do you have to, babe? <laughs> yeah, 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 hard out. So then, I guess, tell me about school, bro, because if you're moving around quite a bit during your school times, mm. was, was it quite hard to apply yourself at school? Were you quite a good student? I, or? I was a good student, actually. I was I was a good um, student. When I went to Teote College, um, they give out uh, scholarships, like uh, they give three three full full year um scholarships so your whole um years paid and then like a half a year and then a term and then me and two of my good mates ended up getting the full year that first year it was it was cool because and you're not allowed to see your parents for like five weeks they like cut you off so you you got to assimilate into the school um pretty then, pretty gangster too, too. yeah and then <laughs> mum come down um mum and dad come down and at the five week mark we have the athletics and then I got the scholarship, and then I won junior athletics champion, and she and then she was just so proud. Like, yeah, yeah. Only because she didn't know what the hell was going on. I was like, "Fuck, is my boy right?" And then after that, she's like, oh, "Yeah, he's all good. He's sweet as down here." So I, yeah, I loved it down in Teote. Um, but I suppose I left at the end of fifth form. Only because, uh, I don't know. I bought into all that, that thing that, you know, your teenage years are your like prime party years and stuff like that and I'm just at the school with a whole lot of boys just like fuck we can't do anything we're stuck in the middle of nowhere um that was one of the reasons why I left but another big reason was they didn't have um they didn't have a music um thing at school they didn't have any drama sort of thing okay um so moved straight up north and that's and that's when I started getting into the music um when I when I went to Kirikiri High School so not just music, but like performing arts in general seems to be a bit of a passion with you. Is that fair to say? Or I, I had this thing when I was at um, Teote that I wanted to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, went to the National Youth Drama School over in Havelock North for a week and you can either do like um, screen acting, um, like stand-up comedy, improvise. There's, there's about 10 different categories and I've done screen acting. Never done it before done a little bit of like theatre stuff at school but not really and so um, when we got into our classes I was kind of acting as if it was theatre <laughs> like big ass but in the screen you just got to be how you'll be in real life yeah yeah for sure and then and that's when I learned quite a bit there she's like would like if you're eating in real life are you like getting hard to overexaggerate you gotta show the people at the back of the room you know but on screen the camera's right in your face you just Uh. gotta be as natural as possible and assume the camera's not there so yeah that was cool and then at the end of the week your parents come down they see all the stand up um, comedians whatever and with the screen acting you had to do um, one scene on camera with they they partner you up with someone and then that's the first time we see it too. And then I, we saw our scene and I watched my one and I just cringed there. And then I was like, fuck, maybe I'm not meant for this. I'm not meant, and that was us. So I kind of hung up the acting boots when I was like 16. I was like, nah, that's not for me. Uh, and then you kind of move forward 12 years <laughs> and um, out of the blue, get this call from um, one of my good mates, um, uncle. Um, asking if I wanted to do an audition for this movie Mount Zion only because my mate um, we used to always practice at his house in his big um, barn and he done I think he done four music videos for us within three weeks of this EP that I, I never really bought out um, so this is your friend or this is the uncle this is my friend so he was the one who's like pushing to his uncle like, hey man my my mate he could probably be in this movie he's a pretty mean muso no one knew who the hell I was and he's like oh can he act and he's like shit I don't know uh, I don't know but I don't know He'll, he might be cool <laughs> and then uh, 
So I got this call up and then I went to went to the audition and it was the same thing. I was overacting and being pretty useless. But and then in the gaps of this thing, I think I've said in a few interviews, in the gaps of like I don't know what I'm doing, bro. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm like, nah, try again. And we'll be like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, man. And I just keep doing that. And it's like, ah, sweet as, bro. Well, I will show the... Because this was the... I think Papa Honey was the last um, character to be cast in that movie. And he said, ah, oh, we'll give you a buzz on Tuesday and we'll let you know how you go. I'll show, I'll show the producers and stuff. They rang me on Tuesday and... Um, I don't think my audition was very good, but it's like, it's what you're doing in between the lines when you're being yourself, that's actually the character. Uh-huh. And um, and that's kind of how I got the role. And and since then, every role I've, I've had up until this point, um, I'm pretty much just do nothing. <laughs> try, don't try, yeah, don't try too hard. Like, just take on board what, what the, um, the di- director's saying, but don't overthink stuff like mm. I think that's that's a crucial thing for for actors don't overthink stuff and um could argue it's a crucial thing for life yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's true oh of acting like you can tell who's acting and you can tell who's being it you know what I mean uh. like the eyes don't lie you look at the eyes and you can tell oh no he's trying too hard or you look at the eyes and he's in the moment you know mm. what I mean so um yeah, that's yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So with um you leaving school early, bro, was that ever an issue with your parents, or were they pretty? Cool? Well, I didn't leave school early. I just left Tote early. Okay. And I was up in Kitty Kitty for the last two years, and um, that's when I found my passion for writing and um performing in a band situation. Yep. Um, and it was a stark contrast from, you know. Predominantly Maori, Tote. Um, everything's tikanga Māori and then I and like 150 years old then I go to the school where the ducks the first ducks was like 78 or something like that so losing a lot of heritage moving to the end I was like man is this the right move and the majority of people were white as well um, but it was a good change up like that's when I started listen, listening to music I would have never listened to mm. and, uh, and it just pushed me into tangents I would have never ever thought of um, and I was just sitting in on one of my um, mates band's practices one day where I was just like just got the buzz when everyone was just locked in together like it's one thing someone playing a guitar and singing but when there's like four people going in tandem um, yeah that impromptu I don't know that's yeah. another buzzy feeling and that's and that's probably the main thing I love about music not so much gigging like my favorite thing is composing and bringing it to a band and then seeing it come to life if I could get paid just to do that shit I'll be doing that every day (laughs) (laughs) so bro when you talk about that um you know that moving into a different situation you know all you said all that heritage and stuff you had a territory and then you moved to something that was a bit uh newer uh, mm. And and mainstream. very contrasting to yeah main more ca- mainstream contrasting to what you had been accustomed to, how did you navigate that? What were some of the things like at the time? If I asked <coughs> you that question, you probably couldn't answer. But looking back, when you reflect now, how did you manage to move through that smoothly? Was it people you talked to? Were there things you did? Um, I think I was, I've always been quite a social dude, like um, easy to make friends. You know what I mean? So. Um, I don't know, they're, even though they're, it's a stark contrast of the people that were there to the people at Tertia, they're still beautiful people and they're all still really cool dudes. Yep. Um, yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't too, it wasn't too tricky. We want to yeah, I just clarify for listeners, we're not saying different is bad. We just no, say no, that. No, no. We just say no, that. Go I, was just, I was a little bit foreign because yeah. uh, growing up. That's I, not what you're used to. Yeah, because I had grown up through Koangario, through um, Kurakopapa, Bilingual, and then Teote, and then go to this pretty much mainstream that doesn't really have uh, uh, there was no like moldy class or anything when I first moved there so I was like oh shit this is mainstream as doing physics and whatever yeah um, <laughs> I don't know I just I just treated it like uh, just another um, part of life like mm. the next step of life and learning new things and like I said that's where 
but that's where my appreciation for new music, new genres come about and new experiences. So um, it was just a new part of my life. Um, and I suppose, you know, everyone doesn't, life doesn't stay the same. You're always meeting new things, seeing new things. So it was just the next step sort of thing. Life's organic, eh? There's always mm. new things happening and new things popping up yeah, and yeah. ways you're being challenged. Yeah. So, but let's talk about like things changing. Like a big game changer, obviously, in the music industry was the internet. Yeah. What are your thoughts around the pros, cons, and things you've seen? Um, yeah, I'm of the old school vibe where it definitely killed the music industry. Um, but then there's this new way where it's a lot more accessible, you know? So mm. people that would have never been, ever been exposed to the masses are now getting listeners. So... Um, it goes both ways, but as far as making money goes, uh, it, it's taken a lot of revenue from the artists, for sure. Um, you just got to be smart now, and um, people are coming up with new ways and stuff. But, you know, in the past, before the internet, you could bring out your album and, you know, you could actually make a good money off that shit now. Yeah people just get your album for free you know so you have to be out on the road that's how you make your money these days um but i'm saying that man i use the internet a lot to find new artists so uh, i can't bag it too much um yeah it goes both ways yeah and then with your with your other art your other love with the with the acting stuff how do you, mm. do you think the internet's played a bit of a role there too i don't know man like um what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, so, I mean, <clears throat> same thing, you know, if people can, I guess, with the albums and stuff, they can okay. do a lot of downloading and things like that. Maybe yeah, like, I suppose I don't worry too much about that. That's like what the, what the people who make the movies got to worry about. <laughs> I just do my job, get paid, and I'm like, okay, use, they've got their whole marketing team. I, I just got to worry about putting on an okay performance. So <laughs> I haven't actually worried about that too much. But yeah, same thing. I watch a lot of movies on the internet myself. Yeah. Um, in that aspect, for me, I like it. Because <laughs> I watch a shitload of movies. I love movies. So. You're on the road heaps too, so it probably helps you wind yeah. down a bit a lot. Yeah, eh? yeah. But um, same thing. Um, it's killed the movie industry as mm. well. You know, As far as revenue and money coming in, man, people are only not even making 10% of what they used to do in the heyday for music and for, for movies. So you said when your your time up north, um, when you first kind of started writing and things like that, mm. but were you like mucking around with a lot of music in your spare time before that? Like even when you were at Chelsea and things like um, that, were you having a tattoo with the guitar and things? Yeah, I, I, I was kind of late to the guitar. Well, late as in like 15, most people start playing when they're like 9, yeah. 10 or whatever. But I was out of necessity one, uh, I think it was one year, at the end of the year when the seniors go early and we had few kaupapa coming up and we had no guitarist so I could play a couple of chords but then that's kind of where I just had to jump into the guitar through necessity and I, I never I never thought of myself as a singer I just grew up through kapapa and everyone just sung and everyone could sing harmonies and it wasn't actually until I moved up to Kitty Kitty where um, someone was singing I'll jump on a harmony and my mate's like how do you know where to go and it was like don't you just know where to yeah, go? Yeah, yeah, Like, and that's when I realised, man, it must be just built into mouldy DNA or Polynesian DNA that um, harmonies just run through our blood. It's a perfect <laughs> example, eh, like, of how, like, it's funny how a lot of the times, like, I find it, I don't want to say frustrating, but for lack of a better word for now, I guess frustrating, like, people ask me to teach them something but I don't know how to teach it mm. I can do it because it's something I've been brought up with and something I've been a part of yeah. from my environment and innately but then they're like oh do you should teach me how to do that it's like, I don't know how yeah, it's I, just, it just happens yeah, I don't know either bro it happens like a lot even with like speaking to the Aussie I didn't learn in the classroom I learned a lot like the same as what you're saying yeah. growing up through Kura Kaupapa and yeah. stuff like that and people will say oh um, like I've got mates that are studying te reo now mm. and they'll be like oh bro what does this mean and I'll be like oh well, it could mean this, but it could also mean this, and it could also mean that. And they're like, oh, just give me one. <laughs> I'm like, well, there's, there's, like, it's a poetic language, bro. That's yeah, yeah, the beauty yeah. about our deal, yeah, is that yeah. one of the many beauties about our deal, is yeah, that it's poetic. Uh, so are you a big deal speaker in your own time? 
Uh, no, I'm not. It's it's not where I want it to be. Mm. Uh, and it kind of is a case of use it or lose it. Like, I don't know. I have been in the last year trying to, you know, especially with my younger kids, trying to speak more to at home. And all my kids can understand it, but like I'll talk to them in, in Māori and they'll reply in English, you know what I mean? But yep. then my younger two are, are a little bit better. But um, yeah, I feel a bit bad that I that I hadn't pushed it from the start. Because my, my oldest is 16 now, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Um, did you ever get anyone when you were younger trying to like school you up? Like, did you have a nanny or an uncle or something that's like, come on, boy? Like, oh. Nah, nah, nah. nah. I, I, I don't know. I, it was just it was real easy when 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 I was younger and now like now I'll do interviews and they'll be like do you want to do it in Te Reo or English, and I'll be like oh if you want to do it in Te Reo, give me the give me the questions beforehand so I can think of some better in depth answers otherwise I'll just be talking and get stumped on stupid ass words that have just gone out of my vocabulary. It's not even that too like there's many ways to like I even I get caught out bro like yeah, yeah. there's many ways to interpret one word so yeah. they might mean a but you're yeah. thinking. E, F, or G, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, they, yeah. they can change the whole sentence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I, especially with my last, my baby, he just turned two, uh, we made a conscious decision of, you know, talking more real way. At home? At home, but it, it could be a lot better. Just put it that way. Yeah. So, wh- can I ask what, like you said that you kind of, the word that you actually used, and I don't think you should use it to be honest but you said feel you feel bad can mm. can you elaborate on that what makes you feel a bit stink about it or why do you think it's important that people should know uh, um yeah well that's who we are you mm. know what I mean? um i i just i just feel bad that i um haven't given my children that leg up mm. and being bilingual being able to speak two languages confidently and fluently um it's not too late it's not too late but you know they say the first two years are the most important or five years so um i feel like i i missed that window of opportunity to make it to be easier uh doesn't mean that it can't be done it's just it just means you got to work a little bit harder yeah yeah so um any like besides maori bro do you have any other um like ancestry? Um, I don't know, bro. No, haven't looked into it. I need to. Yeah, I need to. I think I don't know. If, I think my nan was Danish, but I don't know, bro. I, I want to do one of those DNA tests. Mm. I haven't done one yet either, bro. Yeah, but yeah. I'm keen as I actually got my a wife chance. Did one. My wife did one. And she, I can't remember. She had some freaky stuff in there. So it'll be, it'll be good to see, uh, shit, I don't know. I actually um, did a podcast episode with the fellow that started Ancestry.com. Oh, so true. I haven't published it yet. I haven't published oh, it, but I only just did it a few weeks ago. Oh, cool. Um, one Where thing led from? to another, uh, from Canada. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We jumped on the old uh, Google Hangouts and mm. did our, that way it was weird how it all happened together. But mm. um, yeah, man, like the, how, how it kind of started was he, he's got artwork up and it's like, a blown up version of his DNA strand and people kind of started asking about that and then kind of one thing led to another and that's how he started helping people out get to their thing something along those lines anyway is that, yeah. is that his DNA picture on their thing on his wall yeah oh I don't know if it's their one that they use for their for their marketing and stuff nah but he's like people could blow up their own DNA strands and put it on their wall which would be yeah, pretty good that's something else I'd be keen to do too the yeah. reason why I was asking, bro, if you had any other um, lineage in there or any other ancestry in there is because there's a lot of kōrero happening at the moment around, um, you know, the the term Kiwis or mm. being a Kiwi. And there's kind of, uh, there's always more than two sides, but the, the two main arguments is people all for it because it, it unifies us, you know, like whether you're Māori, Pākehā or whatever, obviously we're a multicultural country. Mm. Um, but then there's also those people that, that don't like it because they think it takes away from 
the the whakapapa that existed before that term. Yeah. You know, like our history starting at the word Kiwi onwards and forgetting about like, you know, the Scots that we've got here, the English that we've got here, obviously the Maori and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts around that? I'm not asking you to pick a side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just what are your thoughts around that, that term Kiwi and, and those two arguments, I guess? I, re- I really don't know. Mm. All I know is whenever I'm filling out forms and it says New Zealand Māori, I cross out New Zealand and just have Māori. <laughs> I don't know if that answers anything. But yeah. um, You do that a lot when you're travelling? Uh, anything forms I fill out. Um, yeah. Because um, your music as well, bro, seems to like carry those sort of messages or or themes throughout it, like the whole, um, man, I don't want to say backlash, but you know, there's this essence of colonial stuff in there, that, yeah, yeah. that's fair to say, eh? Yeah. So where does that all come from? And <clears throat> um, Yeah, well, the last album, um, what is it? Holy Colony Burning Acres, I'm going to say <laughs> Shake That Skinny House. Yeah, yeah. About Holy Colony Burning Acres. Um, I knew that I was doing this reggae album this time around, and... My mates were like, if you're going to do a tutu reggae album, either it has to be about love or politics. So I chose politics, but I don't want to talk about the National Party or whatever. So I went a bit deeper into Māori issues, um, things that are affecting us. Uh, and I, and kind of everything that you see today, the statistics of, you know, the high population of Māori in prisons, um, living under the poverty line, can all stem back to colonization mm-hmm. you know what I mean but so that's 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 kind of the big cup of my album um, but then I've got a lot of friends overseas um, indigenous friends and we were talking and then I ended up writing songs about their stories and stuff and then just realizing Interesting. shit our story is exactly the same mm. um, the thing that makes me whole when you get talking in a room with um, a lot of indigenous cultures it can turn into like a, oh, but we had it harder. Oh, yeah, but yeah, we yeah, had yeah. it harder. It's like, fuck, man, don't, like, we're all drowning. Don't yeah, worry about drowning in deeper water. What do we do now? Yeah, that's it. Like, yeah. um, but you I think we're getting a lot better at unifying rather than just comparing stories. Yeah. But that's interesting, bro. How, how did, like, so you, you've got friends that belong to other indigenous cultures. Mm-hmm. Is that how that came about? Yes. Yeah. So how did that conversation take place and, and what kind of, like, give me, I guess, if you pick on one song or something that you know specifically comes from that conversation, just tell us about how that played out. Yeah, um, so we've got um, a lot of friends from, like, uh, North America, Canada, Indigenous, whanau from... Yeah, like First days, Nation and, brothers. And just meeting them at um, at Indigenous film things over here. And just True. You have whanau, you just sit and just talk about stuff and... Um, there was nothing in particular and what was it there was nothing really in particular um, it's probably hard for you to pinpoint because when, yeah. when you get in that flow state hey, it's yeah, hard yeah, to yeah. pick an exact moment exactly like um, so you came away from that wānanga and and I just felt compelled to write these wāta like this that album was actually written in one week and it was like a blur I come out the other side and then I'm like, holy shit. Bro, that is so cool. I got these 12 songs. Um, and there's a couple of songs I couldn't even remember writing. <laughs> like, uh, I, I, I kind of do all my writing between 10 and 2 um, at night. I, I can't go to, I can't do anything until after 9 when the kids are in bed and have a little wind down. And well, Probably, like, to be honest, because I'm very similar with my artistic yeah, side. Yeah. I reckon, this is my theory for myself, and it might apply, you might find something similar to this, because I'm so social, mm. if people are around, I want to talk, I want to catch mm. up, I want to guess, but then when that 10 to 2 is when everyone kind of mm. goes to Moy or whatever, yeah. and they, they head off, and I finally get a moment to myself, and I find that a lot of my expression comes out then, because yeah. I've actually got a moment alone to digest, or... Yeah, and I find that I kind of have to be alone to do stuff as well, like, I can be with... Uh, it's cool to get inspired by jamming with your mates and, and doing stuff, but as far as making the mahi and doing the mahi, nothing kind of gets done, I feel like, until I'm sitting by myself and I can just digest my thoughts and and also 
run with my thoughts without anyone going, hey, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, I was going to ask, do you think that's more like a disciplinary work ethic thing that you need to be alone, or is it more a vulnerability thing? Probably a little bit of both. A little bit of both. But um, I think why, like, go back to Shake That Skimmy Ice with the way to Zagatron, that album. Um, I think if I had people in the room with me, I don't know if I would have written that album. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would have been turned off. Like, like oh, you're, that's some whack shit, man. So it's it's good to have that alone time and just to be able to run with ideas without anyone chopping them down and just... I don't know. Just trust yourself sometimes. Do you find, like, um, do you ever have those moments? Because, I mean, it sounds like you, like, I don't want to say a fear of judgment, but there's a bit of that there, eh? Like, you don't want these people to, to throw out these blocks and, and, and stop your, your flow and, and yeah, explore yeah. the ideas. You don't want people to, I guess, impose their limitations on you when it comes to exploring yeah, 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 these things. Like, I always thought it was good to be sitting in with more minds and, and have more ideas, but then people would be, like, trying to chuck you lyrics and you're like, <laughs> and then that's when you realize you only like what you what you say with your own mind yeah um that's i only realized that in the last year like i've just been trying other ways of writing and i'll be jamming with people and they're like i was like fuck i just need a line and then they'll be like saying stuff and i'm just like shh just give me a moment <laughs> and then they'll give me and i'm like oh man i gotta go in another room i can't think so, um, <laughs> how do they respond when you do that stuff? Right? Like, no, this guy, <laughs> this uppity guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it always seems to be around that two o'clock mark where um, they call it the golden hour, two o'clock. And I got a, I won't say it was, but one of my good mates, um, he was partying with RZA from Wu Tang mm-hmm. over in LA. But like raging it up, hard out. And then, it, and then someone walks into to the studio and he's like, and then everyone just goes like serious as, and then it hits two o'clock and then they push record and then everyone's just in work mode. Oh. And I was just like, fuck, they like, they like treat that seriously. Two o'clock, the golden hour. And, and I fully believe it because I think you're at a state where you're pretty tired and you're kind of in that dream state where mm. you're kind of open up to the gods or something. Yeah. And, and you're just getting kupu from somewhere else that you, that, and that's what I mean. Like, I've woken up a couple of times and I'm like, did I fucking write that? And I'll like look at my lyrics and I'm like, what the hell? And then I'll listen back to my um, voice recording and go, man. Shit. It's interesting you say that because we, like, me and my friends, we talk about, we used to talk about when, and we laugh about it now in retrospect, we talk about it um, like, that, that kind of age when you're like 18 to 23, sort of, you know, party hard. And we used to talk about 2am being like the dangerous hour because that's when you're most likely to message a girl some dumb shit, like some super <laughs> deep and meaningful stuff because it's when your your walls are super down, yeah. you're super vulnerable yeah. and, you know, there's those inhibitions are kind of lower. And maybe that's a similar thing, obviously from a different angle, but it's the it's so. the ability, it's that time when you're just... Yeah, Matata. there's, there's just no got... wars. It's just everything's open. Your emotions are open to the cosmos. Yeah. And um, there's no filter. It just comes out. And uh, I, I've said it a few times in interviews that um, it used to take me a year to write songs, and I don't know what it was. It was probably not until I was 29, 30. I'm just like, fuck, what are you waiting for? Like, waiting for something. And then after that, I was writing songs in an hour, easy. It was because I was trying to, I don't know what I was trying to block out, something. And then I didn't know if my stuff was good enough, my lyrics were good enough. And then once I just opened up the floodgates, shit was coming out. And I was just like, I'm just going to trust whatever I write. I'm going to write it out. And then I write it and then sing it back and go, hey, these lyrics are actually quite dope. Like, these are better than any songs I've ever written before. And those are the ones I've been... Like having one on gone for a year, these ones I'm just letting loose. And that's kind of how I've written in the last for the last few albums, just letting it go. Is there any sort of can you kind of identify like an event or a time was and a realization uh, uh, that you that allowed you to bring that down? Or you can't pick I th- it or? I, I think it was age. Like I think it was through fear that, that the walls come down because I was like, I'm not getting any younger. What, what what am I waiting for? And no regrets. Yeah, yeah, and I th- oh, it might have been after my my third child. I'm like, fuck. 
do I really want to do this? Uh, it was when I was just questioning what do I want to do with my life. Mm. Um, and yeah, and and one of the one of the prime ones was when I wrote the song um, "Lest We Forget." Um, I wrote it for John the Major, who was in the um, who was in the C Company. The C Company was the the East Coast days. Yeah. yeah. The Cowboys. Yeah. Um, so he was in there. When he passed away, friggin' legend, I couldn't get down to the tangi, mm. and so I felt a bit gutted about that. And I just sat down and wrote that song. And it, I, that was the first time I'd never thought about words or anything. And it, and it just, it kind of wrote itself. And it feels like ever since then, a lot of my songs have written themselves. Like I just, I'm just the vehicle let them come through me and then it's like if you think too much then that's when the song's just going to be some sort of floppy shit <laughs> but if if you just let it flow then they it's like they're just floating around you just got to grab them before before that time slot closes mm, for the um, you got to be o- yeah you got to be open to the stuff and i think that's what that 10 to 2 thing is it's just like waiting for the whatever it is inspiration for it whatever and then just grabbing it and running with it do you, would you say that death affects you quite profoundly, like as a person? Death. Like when, when people pass away and stuff, do you, does it sit with you for a bit or are you quite, do you find it quite cruisy? Um, I haven't had too many, um, too many close to me touch wood. Mm. I had my nan, I had my nan, uh, and that's where that song Grandma's Rocket Poem comes from, but that she passed away in 2013. I didn't write that for a few years after that. But um, I think it definitely does. It, death affects everyone. Mm. Um, yeah, my kids, my kids have been, especially with my youngest one, she, she was crying the other day. Well, I, I don't know what come up about death. And then I was just talking about when the time comes, when you're old enough, you're, it'll be easier to accept right now you're so young it's a real scary thing but everyone everyone's born and everyone, how old's your daughter? she's six Far but same thing my oldest daughter was the same thing she's 11 now when she was about six they go through this phase of oh we're gonna die and then I I don't know how to how to make it better but I just try and I don't know I really don't know so with um your music program we've talked about like the the golden hour and the vulnerability to it and stuff what about when when people finally hear it do you get nervous um once you come out of the creative space and i guess it's time to move into the promotion performance sort of stage of the music i don't i don't um when do i get nervous I suppose it's only because I I won't release it until I'm happy with it. Mm. So by the time I'm happy with it, if I'm happy with it and I release it and no one likes it, it's fine because I got peace of mind that I'm putting out something that I'm happy with. Yeah. Uh, if it was shitty and I had to put it out, then I'd be like, oh fuck, then what sort of? Have you ever been put in that position? Nah, not not yet, not yet. But I, I'm kind of in a good space where um, I'm only doing things I want to do. Um, I'm in a real cool space where if I want to collaborate with people now, I'll just message them and they'll be like, yeah, or people have been messaging me. And I'm like, yeah, how do I? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm in a good space. It feels like I'm, I'm in a place where I don't have to do, I won't have to do anything, like sell my soul for shit. Mm. Um, if I had to, there'd be a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> what about when you first started, I guess, um, like every every artist goes through that moment when it comes to they get to that point they're like all right am i gonna take this seriously mm. did you tell us about your moment going through that because like i say almost every artist did you even have one but most artists i've spoken to have one they kind of get to that point where they've been doing it for a while they've been gigging and they actually have to kind of sit with them and be like all right bro what are we gonna do here like or is it just kind of you look back and you're like fuck i've been performing for a while now and then yeah well shit. i haven't really had a nine-to-five job since 2012. <clears throat> what so did you do? I was a dive instructor for six years. <laughs> oh, man, which wouldn't have been work for you because you love diving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've, the main reason I left diving was um, 
my wife, she's a high school teacher, and summer is diving, you know, busy period. So they were having their Christmas holidays with the kids, and I was at work, and I'm like, fuck this, man. So I, and I was kind of doing itinerant teaching part-time, so I was like, why don't I push to be a teacher so we can all have the same holidays? And I quit. Following week, uh, I got papers to, um, through Massey, like um, correspondence, and that same weekend I was when I got the call from Te Arepa. Like the following week, I was finishing at the Daisha, and that's kind of set the chain of events to where I am right now. Um, where I'm, it's 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 a little bit scary because there's not consistent mahi, not consistent money coming in. Luckily for me, my wife's the one who pays the bills because she's got the consistent mahi. Mm. But um, I don't know. It's a strange, strange job that I do. Like, <laughs> it's not just gigs, you know. We, we we're down here for three gigs down in Taranaki, but then I'll be like on Friday last week after the VMAs. Well, I was in the studio with, with Rob. We've we done a whole live album with those guys, and then I'll go into schools and do music commission, songwriting stuff, and then with the acting, you know, we we do acting, we do interview. It's like it's the cool thing about it. It's it's never the same. Yeah, and I get to see cool parts of our country. Um, yeah, I I I don't think I've ever had a moment where I'm like when I'm gonna take this seriously. Um, I just I suppose my my wife's letting me do it, so <laughs> I'll keep doing it. And if she gives me a growling, then I might have to go. Oh, I need to take this seriously. How can I make How can I make it work a bit better? <laughs> but it's uh, she's letting me do what I'm doing, so I haven't really questioned it. So with all the like running around and stuff that you've mentioned, you're doing on all the things that are happening for you. How do you manage your time? Like, are you quite good with managing your time, or do you have someone that manages your time for you, or how how are you with the with that side of it, um, the load I have, management. I, I've, I've, got, a man, I've got a manager this year, um, but it's been a bit hard. They've spent most of the because they're also the Maori Quartets manager and a few others, so they've they've got a lot on their plate and they've been overseas for most of the time. So I've seemingly been managing myself this year. Um, people always think I'm super busy, but most of the week I'm at home looking after my baby, like doing the doing the washing. Um, I've just got my calendar, that's all I need, and I look at, okay, I've got gigs here, I've got to do this, sweet. And then the rest of the time, just bringing up my kids, running into netball, gymnastics. <laughs> um, I don't know, I don't think I'm great with time, but I, I, I get to things on time, and and I know when shit's going to happen. <laughs> if that's managing my time, then yeah, I, I know how to manage my time. Do you ever get stressed? Nah, nah, I'm probably one of the most chill people you ever meet, and um, I've actually lost some jobs because people thought I wasn't taking them seriously, and um, and then it wasn't until I met them uh, a year later through someone else, and they then they realised the person that I am, and I'm always, I'm never like, I'm yeah. always like I am right now. Yeah. <laughs> So like, you take us like through that. Like, obviously, I don't want you to name people or name the job or anything like that. But what do you mean? I, I'm battling to fathom what you mean. Uh, it's, been... it's, uh, it's a it was it was quite a big um, thing where I don't know. I suppose they just wanted to see more. I don't know what they wanted to see, but I was still doing the mahi to a good degree. Uh, was this per- performing or? Um, it was it was a gig. It okay. was a gig. Yeah. Uh, which could have been a regular gig. Um, and then it wasn't until the next year when I had achieved heaps of stuff and then they had seen a lot of interviews where I'm exactly how I was when I was talking to them and they're like, oh, I thought he wasn't taking it serious, but he's just this like is the his most personality. relaxed dude I've ever met. <laughs> so, um, and then I got some more mahi with them yeah. the, the following the following year. So. so how are you so relaxed then? What what do you think led you, leads you to be stress-free? What are, like, if we try to dissect it, I know it's pretty hard to... Ask someone why are you the way you are? I think you, without saying I, I think just think has got a lot to do with it. Um, Hard to be stressed there, eh? It is, it <laughs> is. And and if you are stressed or high strung people are like, Oh, up to you, babe. So I think that's got a lot to do with it. And even up north it's pretty it's pretty, you know, slow paced up there. I, I hate getting onto Queen Street and just seeing like people walking past you and it's like, Where are you racing to, man? Mm. 
I don't know. Some people just need to stop and and take stock. Sometimes it, it feels like they're racing and they don't even know where they're going. Um, <laughs> I really. So okay, let's okay. Then. When you when you see someone who's stressing out, bro, what would what would be like one or two key things you would? Like if I came to you, bro, and I was like, man, I'm so stressed. What would be like one or two things you would, um, you would say? What to are me? you stressed about, bro? Yeah. What are you stressed about? Uh, well, I see. I'm quite lucky. I'm not. But let's <laughs> all right. Let's let's say for the sake of I'm trying to think of what a lot of people are stressed about. I, I'm I'm stressing about I, money. I'm stressing about money. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't have any tips for you, bro. Um, sometimes I'll feel stressed. I won't show it. Mm-hmm. The best way to relax for me is to go for a dive. Um, Go under the sea, you can't hear anything, and it's just silent, and it's just human thoughts. Um, that's one of the best places for me. When did you first notice you had quite a good connection to the Moana? Uh, it's probably when I'd done, done my dive course when I was at high school. Um, what led to that? Uh, they, so we have a, at a PP department at, in Kirikiri High School. They do what they do on every year. They do a, like, uh, whoever wants to do the dive course, I'm like, yeah, sweet, jump on it. And, wow, it was just real spacey, being under the water and being able to breathe. Mm. And um, and that was kind of, it was about three years after that before I went and done this course to be a scuba instructor. So it was, it was because I'd done that course, I was like, oh, that was a buzzy as buzzy feeling. Went off to Maine's Music Audio Institute in New Zealand in Auckland, um, just not really to do anything but meet like-minded people and just write music and stuff like that. And then my wife got pregnant when I was 18, so we ended up moving back up north and I got a job in the orchards, the kiwi fruit orchards, and done a couple of jobs I didn't really love. And it was probably two years after that when my wife was like, I know you're not loving this and you're not cracking the money in because I was still doing music, shooting down to Auckland, gigging with my band, but they were pretty much free gigs. We, it was just a passion thing. It's just like, what else do you love? And I'm like, well, I, I never want to work in an office. So I don't want to work inside. But I remember that dive course. I freaking love diving. And and I've done heaps of diving since then, like like free diving. And then she was like, why don't you go ask how to be an instructor or something? And then the following week, walked into the shop, asked them, um, how do I get a career in scuba instruction? And they sorted me out. And the following year, I was working at the same shop, and I was there for six years, um, taking trips to Rainbow Warrior, um, the other Navy frigate, naval frigate over in Deepwater Cove, and just teaching. And that was it. It was, it was me. It was buzzy years. And but the one thing was, um, I was the tertiary instructor, and I was just, I was getting stressed out. That's probably the one time I've been stressed because of paperwork. Paperwork stresses me out, and um, I was I had a big workloads and and I had a lot of crazy ass dudes that I was taking diving that were just muppets, and and I was like, man, this like, is how did you fellas? This is a da- this is dangerous, sir. This is dangerous. If you don't listen, something could happen, and so I was getting stressed for these people's lives, and I was like, oh man, I don't know if I can handle this anymore, and then. The moment I finished at the dive shop and had my first dive after that without stress was like the best dive I'd had in years. I was just like, I'm just diving for the sake of diving. For you, yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 kind of my church under the ocean. Um, it's cool seeing like your body language, like there's a lot of love <laughs> radiating from you at the moment we talk about the morning. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I love seafood as well. Um, so that's one of the main reasons I like getting into the ocean, but uh, I think it's just that affinity with nature, um, being in something that's bigger than you. Uh, freaking hell, I don't know. It's There's like, a lot of lessons there, isn't there? Yeah, like, yeah, like you're saying, you know, it's it's bigger than us. It can. You just be- feel insignificant, and you just you just be when you're under there. Mm. You just be, just be. Reminds you of what's important, eh? Yeah. But yeah, I I think the insignificance is a big thing. Like, there seems to be so all these things stressing out about. But when you're there at the water, mm. well, I know how I feel when I'm underneath, and yeah. I'm just like, 
nothing else matters right yeah. now other than like even if you go in with any radus when you come out it's like that feeling when you've jumped into the river and you come out and you got that crisp cold air over you and it just sits for a couple of hours and you just feel nice that's the feeling you don't not even think about anything but fuck that was cool man yeah. I mean, yeah, mean, bro. No, it's cool. Like I said, it was cool seeing like your your body language light up and well, stuff. Yeah, as you talk, turn around talk, to you. <laughs> talk of, talk about the ocean. It's massive. Oh, bro, there's um, only really I guess one question I ask everyone who who comes on the podcast. Mm-hmm. E- everything else is pretty free flowing conversation like what we've had. Yeah. But the one question I do ask everyone is that, bearing in mind you're not a health professional, mm-hmm. there's someone listening right now who is feeling a bit down, mm-hmm. feeling a bit out and maybe a bit lost, what would your words be to that person in this in this moment? Hmm. I know it's a big question, bro. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah take your time. There's no, no rush. I should have uh, probably yeah, pre- yeah, pre-warned uh, you about this. I think, I don't know, it's hard depending on the situation, mm-hmm. you know. Like, I don't know what the environment is but um, I think what a lot of people need to do is surround themselves with positive people like if you're in a really shitty situation it could, it could probably be a, it's probably a real hard ask but there are a lot of beautiful people out there um, if it feels like if it feels like you're surrounded with negative people that's the vibe that you're gonna be feeling all the time. So, mm-hmm. surround your people, or surround yourself with people um, that are gonna make you feel how you want to feel. You know, if you don't know if you're negative, don't hang around with negative people. Awesome, bro. And a couple of light-hearted ones just to finish <laughs> off. We've had some pretty hohunu quoted on today, but bro, you said you're passionate about the NBA. Mm-hmm. Who's your team? What are you liking? What are you not liking about the league and stuff at the moment? Uh, not liking my fantasy team. <laughs> um, I was an OKC fan. I'm still OKC because Adams is in there, but um, I'm kind of following Houston because Westbrook's gone over there. Oh uh, yeah, they're doing okay right now. I think they're second or third in the West. They're actually working way better together than I thought they would. Harden and Westbrook. I yeah. thought it would be give me the ball now, give yeah. me the ball, but they're actually. I think, I think you got to give props to Westbrook. Like everyone's giving him so much shit because he's. Whatever stat patter, yeah. Um, but he's sped that team up so so much, and they're they're one of the fastest teams in, in the NBA right now. And, and he's, he's willing to give the ball, which I did not think. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, he's willing to. Well, he was doing triple doubles. You still got to do at least ten passes. Yeah, yeah. So everyone says he's a stat patter. He hogs the ball, but you you got to pass the ball to get a triple double. Yeah. So, One of the most explosive point guards we've ever man, seen too. he's crazy. I've I got mad love for that dude. Any like kind of like newer guys that you're excited about um, that you've seen? Like I quite like that Ja Morant dude. Yeah, uh, yeah, A lot yeah. of people... I've got, I've got um, Ferret. So my my one rule for, for fantasy is I only take on one rookie. Last year I had Luca, so I, I had the jackpot with that guy. Yeah. This year, Barrett's not too bad, but Ja, he, he's killing it. And Nun from yep. Chicago, he wasn't even in the draft. My, my crew, we, we, we call him Nun your business. Because <laughs> he just yeah, balls. He's been solid. Um, what I like this year is it's a lot more balanced. There's, there's a lot more teams that can get to the finals now. Yeah. And poor Warriors, damn, look at those dudes. Bottom of the table. Decimated. And I thought. You know, getting D'Angelo in there, they were gonna, they're gonna still hold something. But they, those first couple of games, they didn't really gel very well. Him and Curry, and now that Curry's out, I think Green's just come back. But they've only got two wins or two wins out of thirteen games. Something and like that. Yeah. Coming from one of the best teams in the history of the game to the sad excuse for a team, damn. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm a big Giannis fan, I'm hard at Giannis fan. So Me, Bucks. Um, I like Philly starting five, but I don't know about their bench too much. Is who's is it's um, Embiid. Who's with him up the front? Is it Horford? 
Horford. He is starting. Powerful. Oh, yeah. So it's Embiid. Horford's one of my favourites, bro. Richardson and Simmons just got his first three. Though. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. If he can get a, get a regular three going, like one or two. Not even games. a three, bro. Just, just a jumper. <laughs> just, just, just a long two. Oh, man. <laughs> Because the rest of the game is solid. Oh, he just needs that jumper. Crazy. Um, and who else they got? Ben. Uh, oh, Tobias. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's solid. Yeah. So, yeah, my team's in the West. Miami's been doing mean. Yeah. Oh, is that where none is? Miami, not Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've got Butler for my fantasy, so I was I quite mean, happy that was a late pick-up. So, my, my one was Jokic. My second pick-up was Gobier, who was crap, but he's playing good now. But I traded him. I traded him and DeRozan, who's playing me now too. Four? For Kawhi, who has fucking break every second game. It was, it was the worst trade of my life. I'm at the bottom of my fantasy right Oh, now. shit. So, um, my point guards are D'Angelo, um, Rozier from Charlotte. Yep. Um, who you don't know what's going to do. I've got him too, bro. You don't know what you're going to get out of him. Yeah, like you have the other yeah. day. Well, one, one I have been surprised with that I picked up. He was at 110 on the draft. Wiggins, man, he's been playing real good. Yeah. I think he knows it's do or die for him at this stage. Yeah. No yeah. one's going to want... And he's been, it's his best season so far. He's killing it. So I was I was going to trade him earlier. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to keep him. I've also got Ball. Um, I picked up Baines, who, who was playing mean well with... Um, um, what's his name? Aiton? Yeah. Well, Aiton's out. his druggy yeah. thing. Um, but Baines is out for a moment now at the moment too yeah isn't he? so he's so missed like three or four games which has been pissing me off <laughs> um, and then my other centre I've got Jarrett from um, Allen oh yeah but he had a good game the other I've got him too oh, so have you, have sounds you, like, but, but what, what pick did you get in the draft it sounds like we've got a similar team nah, so we must have got the same I got pick six, I got think. six or seven no I think I got four because I, I got LeBron first round because okay. my in my head like I've got we call them bronze sexuals got heaps of bros in our league that froth him they absolutely love him oh, he's been solid but he's the man he's like you can't year. deny what he does but yeah. my plan was to grab him and then trade him for like something ridiculous because I knew they'd buy a high because they love him but no one's been biting bro but so I've had him which is good it's worked like he's the only person in our league that scored over 100 fantasy points well, so I'm, far someone wants to buy because um, I got go be a second as well oh did you yeah yeah yeah, well, he, he wasn't playing that great, but he's coming on <laughs> he's now, still, he's and mean. he just got five blocks in the last game, I don't know. Do you always been a basketball fan, bro, or... I uh, was, I was, like, in the... In the like a Jordan Michael days? Jordan yep. era, like Sean Kemp, those dudes, and then... That's of, how I became an OKC fan. I was a Gary Payton and Sean Kemp Yeah, dude, yeah, yeah. Well, so it's all about the Sonics. I went off, I went off, and it's my son plays b-ball, and he's the one who got me back in to NBA maybe four years ago. Yeah. And then my older brother been playing fantasy for like 12 years or some shit he got me and my older brother onto it and now we're like things don't even watch games we just watch our stats on our thing like, yeah. <laughs> get one more rebound especially when you're playing each other yeah and when you're like when they're like two rebounds away from a double double or something yeah, yeah you're, you're like, like come and on I'm like, surely I got two people playing and then they don't get any rebounds you're like fuck <laughs> useless awesome bro like one, one I guess the final question I'll ask you before we head off Bro, a lot of people want, like, a career in music or acting. Like, everyone's got a dream. Mm. What would your message be, like, about chasing that dream or achieving that dream? Like, you said you waited, you kind of had a bit of a, for lack of a better term, a fear moment. You're mm. like, fuck, man, this, like, this could be it. Like, mm. is this what you want it to be? Yeah. What, what would your experience be there to pass on? Um, yeah, I started really late. Like, my first, uh, my biggest goal was always to bring out an album and I bought out my first album when I was 31 or two um, and I think it was because I was bringing up children um, through my 20s and that's probably why I'm wanting to do 10 albums in 10 years and 10 genres to make up for that lost time but um, like don't let children like having kids don't think that's a bad thing that's giving you friggin life experience that's giving you stuff that people that don't have children are ever gonna have like that feeling um so don't there's always way, ways around things people think that they they've got obstacles and stuff there's always a way around like i don't know i got five children and i'm i'm here in taranaki doing fair gigs you know it's find you a good partner that's what you need to do someone that's gonna hold it down at home but whatever you're gonna do 
So only do it if you're passionate about it. That's it. Don't do something half pie. So, like, I've done a lot of years for free because it's my passion. So, um, be passionate about it. Um, otherwise, it's going to be very, very, very hard. There you have it. The brother, the myth, the man, the legend himself, Troy Kingy, having a call it all with us uh, about all things to do with music, Fano, diving, sports. The brother going hard out with his uh, fantasy NBA. Well, that was before the season was closed down anyway. For those that aren't in the know, you might have seen on the public feeds, uh, Facebook, Instagram, etc. Uh, some of these episodes unfortunately got lost uh, when I had my laptop go puckadoo. And it's only recently that I've had it revived. So obviously... Some of the things we spoke about, especially with sports, probably would have led you to understand that this is a bit of a delay, uh, as this quarter was taken earlier on in the year when the bro was here for WOMAD. Um, but now we can see um, some of the corridor, you know, with all the things that he's been through, the things that he's achieved and the drive and the ambition and the whanaungatanga, his whanau backing him, uh, his moving all over the show, all that stuff, still very relevant. Um, but yeah, the, the timing obviously a little bit out because of the do with the laptop. I've already got one other one that's going through that same thing too. But once again, the quarter or very rich and something that people need to be locked into. All right, thank you very much for joining me this time around. We'll catch you on the next episode. Plenty more to come, especially as we dive into quarter uh, around the Māori ward here in Aotearoa, especially here in Taranaki. And it's an election year as well. So crazy things. <laughs>